0: Good morning again. It is uh, good to be gathered together. Always enjoy the fellowship. Enjoy the time in our first hour as we remember the Lord Jesus. And then to have the privilege of opening up his word. Let's uh, turn, if you will, if you have your Bibles with you, Second 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 be finishing out the uh, book of 2 Thessalonians this morning, Lord willing. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. Finally, brothers, pray for us that the word of the Lord will spread rapidly and be glorified, just as it did also with you, and that we will be rescued from perverse and evil men, for not all have faith. But the Lord is faithful, who will strengthen and guard you from the evil one. And we have confidence in the Lord about you, that you are doing and will continue to do what we command. And may the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and into the steadfastness of Christ. Now we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from every brother who walks in an unruly manner and not according to the tradition which they received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us because we did not act in an unruly manner among you. Nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it, but with labor and hardship we kept working night and day so that we would not be a burden to any of you. Not because we do not have the authority, but in order to offer ourselves as a model for you so that you would imitate us. For even when we were with you, we used to command this to you, if anyone is not willing to work, neither let him eat. For we hear that some among you are walking in an unruly manner, doing no work at all but acting like busybodies. Now such persons we command and exhort in the Lord Jesus Christ that working with quietness they eat their own bread. But as for you, brothers, do not lose heart in doing good. And if anyone does not obey our word in this, if anyone does not obey our word in this letter, take special note of that person to not associate with him. So that he will be put to shame, and yet, do not regard him as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. Now may the Lord of peace himself continually give you peace in every circumstance. The Lord be with you all. The greeting is in my own hand, Paul, which is a distinguishing mark in every letter. This is the way I write. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Let's go to the Lord. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this letter of Paul to the church in Thessalonica. We thank you that, in many ways, uh, this is a very practical letter for us today. I would just ask that you would help us to learn from your word. Help me as I uh, give this message that, above all, the Spirit of the Lord Jesus would be speaking through your word. Keep me out of the way of the message of the gospel, and if there's anything that I say that isn't error, I trust that the Holy Spirit will correct that in the hearts and the minds of those who hear this. Amen. Uh, this is uh, the last in a series I undertook quite some time ago to look at Paul's letters to the church in Thessalonica, and, and this morning, as I mentioned, we'll be finishing up 2 Thessalonians. And throughout 2 Thessalonians, one of the themes on which I have focused is God's righteous judgment. In the first chapter, we considered... God's righteous judgment as it related to the salvation of the believer as well as the condemnation of the unbeliever. In the second chapter, we considered God's righteous judgment as it related to the final condemnation of of Satan, the Antichrist, and all those who have rejected the message of the gospel, as well as uh, as it related to the final consummation of the believer's relationship with the Lord at the coming of the Lord Jesus. And now as we enter into the third and final chapter of 2 Thessalonians, I want to draw our attention again to God's righteous judgment, but this time as it relates to uh, his judgment within the body of believers. And I want to draw three lessons from this this morning, the first one being looking at the Lord's attitude regarding the body, the believer's attitude regarding the body, and finally God's righteous judgment toward the believer who disregards the body. And I admit, uh, as I was uh, preparing this, it's, uh, it's a little bit hard sometimes to deliver a message of, of this sort. The, the first two chapters, were, we're speaking somewhat in generalities about the, the condemnation of the unbeliever, the, the, uh, the hope of the believer that we have, uh, that sure hope. But now we're drawing it into the body of believers. This is where it kind of gets personal. And again, it's, it's, a, it's a little bit uh, uh, daunting, and I, I pray uh, that, uh, again, that through this, that the Lord Jesus would be honored through it. And so first, as we look into this, into this uh, last chapter of, uh, of this letter, look at the Lord's attitude regarding the body. In the first three verses, Paul writes, finally, brothers, pray for us that the word of the Lord will Spread rapidly and be glorified, just as it did also with you, and that you will be rescued from perverse and evil men. For not all have faith, but the Lord is faithful, who will strengthen and guard you from the evil one. And so, first he, as he begins this uh, this last chapter, uh, he, as he begins his final comments, uh, he starts with a couple of prayer requests, and they and they're tied together. The first one was prayer for the furtherance of the gospel. He said, Pray that the word of the Lord will spread rapidly and be glorified, just as it also did with you. His chief concern in, in everything that Paul did was in the gospel of Jesus Christ, and his prayer was that it would be received and that it would be lived out, which is how the gospel is honored, not just in word but in deed. And also note that even in this request, his letters to the church in Thessalonica have been very encouraging to this church. And even in this prayer request, you notice his encouragement to this church. As he said, Pray that the gospel would be received and honored, that it would be received quickly, spread quickly, just as it did with you. And even though Paul only had a few weeks in Thessalonica, this church received that gospel message quickly, with joy and set out living the gospel in their own lives that drew praise from not only Paul, but from the churches around them. And if, and if you remember from 1 Thessalonians, in chapter 1, he, he wrote this to them, You also became imitators of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. You not only received it, but you honored it with your lives, and that's my prayer for the gospel. Whatever I do, that the gospel would spread and that it would be honored in the lives of the believers. And Paul's second request here then in these these opening verses here is for protection, and it's here that we start to see the Lord's attitude toward the church. At least that's the lesson I'm drawing from it. As he wrote, and pray that we'll be rescued from perverse and evil men, for not all have faith. And you note that there's a little bit of a warning in this in this request. As he prays for deliverance from wicked and evil men, he gives the reason for not all have faith. Remember where this church was was positioned, and it's very applicable to us today. We could take you could take the church of Thessalonica. And put it right in our, in our today's world, in today's culture, and I think it would fit right in. This was a church. It was a port city within the Roman Empire. It laid on a major highway, uh, the Appian Way that the that the Roman uh, that the Romans had built. In fact, they even it didn't naturally go into Thessalonica, but they purposely built a road. That connected that Appian Way to Thessalonica. So you had all these cultures coming in for trade and business, and all these religions coming in. There was Judaism there, because there was a synagogue there, but they've also found idols to Egyptian deities, to other gods from other nations. So this was this was this blending, this mishmash of of different religions and, and different gods. And in Paul's journeys, he uh, and, and this church faced persecution from both Jew and Gentile alike. Because they had given up on that. They had rejected that. And now they were, in, they were endeavoring to live for the Lord Jesus. And Paul, in his journeys, he, he encountered these same forces that, that were at work on this church. If we go back to 2 Corinthians 11, I'll just sum up what he, what he wrote here to the church in Corinth. And and you can look at that, it's in verses 24 through 27 of 2 Corinthians. He said, I received from the Jews the 39 lashes. I've been beaten three times, stoned, shipwrecked, in danger from robbers, from his own countrymen, from Gentiles, and so on. He went sleepless nights. He, He underwent starvation, thirst, and so on. And then he adds to that, and apart from all the external things, there is a daily pressure on me of concern for all the churches. So how does this relate to the Lord's view of the body? As Paul calls for this, this uh, or asks for this prayer request, he concludes this section in verse 3, but the Lord is faithful. So he just said, pray for my protection for not all have faith. And he concludes, but the Lord is faithful, who will strengthen and guard you from the evil one. And this is, as I thought about this is one of those phrases that we could spend a long time just unpacking this, this one phrase. And to a church that is facing the very real threat of persecution, what could be more comforting? The Lord is faithful, who will strengthen and guard you from the evil one. This echoes what what Paul wrote elsewhere and and other portions of Scripture. Romans 8, 31, Paul Paul wrote to the church in Rome. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? Deuteronomy 4 and verse 7, Moses uh, speaking to the people. For what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as is Yahweh, our God, Whenever we call on Him. In Psalm 62 and verse 8, trust in Him at all times, O people, pour out your heart before Him, because God is a refuge for us. And Paul concludes in Romans 8, the closing verses of that chapter who will separate us from the love of god in christ and he said he asked the question will affliction or turmoil or persecution famine nakedness peril or sword says nothing can separate us from the love of god in christ and he goes on he says but in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us for i'm convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, this does not mean that believers are going to be free from trouble or, or persecution. But what this means is that the Lord is faithful to his own. He will strengthen those who are his to be able to stand against the evil one The story is told of uh, Polycarp, an early church father. Uh, He was uh, acquainted with the Apostle John. He came shortly after the Apostle John. And the story is told that when Polycarp was to be burned at the stake, man, I had a hard time going through this as I was writing it, as I was uh, preparing this, and it's no different now. As he was preparing to be burned at the stake, the story goes, the night before, he had a candle in his cell, and he would hold his hand over, over the candle, trying to, how, how long can I endure this? If I can't endure this for very long, how, what am I going to do when I'm, when I'm at the real thing? He despaired. If I can't stand this little bit of pain, what am I going to do tomorrow? how can I endure the flames of my death? But when the time came and Polycarp was led to the stake, and the flames started to look at his flesh, he poured forth beautiful praise and worship to our Lord and Savior. The Lord is faithful, who will strengthen and guard you from the evil one. Using Paul's teaching to the church in Ephesus, the Lord views his body as his bride, views the body, the church, as his bride, who is to be loved and cherished and protected. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her, so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. That's how the Lord views us. A body, a bride to be cherished, protected, honored. And so if this is the Lord's attitude to the body, then what is the believer's right response to the body? And we see that in the the following verses. I'm, I'm pulling from verses 4 through 11 and we'll look at this as we go through throughout his ministry Paul held a deep concern for the welfare of the body remember in Acts 20 as he gathered the Ephesian elders toward him before he was going to be led off to Rome uh, he told the elders he warned them to be on guard for themselves and the flock why because savage wolves from without and within would ravage the flock not sparing any in 1 Corinthians 12, he wrote to the church who valued certain spiritual gifts over others that the Lord, in his grace, gave them gifts for the mutual support and edification of the body. And concluding in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 27, now you are Christ's body and individually members of it. There's none who is more important than another. But we are all one in Christ. And the church in Rome. Something very similar, again, is around the, the spiritual gifts in Romans 12 and verse 3. For through the grace given to me, I say to each one among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound thinking as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. In short, Paul holds the same attitude toward the body of the Lord. It needs to be protected, honored, and cherished. I want to look at draw out three aspects of this in this in this section just very quickly. And first, we see this uh, this uh, view and protection through obedience. And the second is the discipline of sin within the body, and third, the example of humility. And so, Paul commends the believers for their obedience. He begins in verse four. He says, "And we have confidence in the Lord about you." That you are doing and will continue to do what we what we command. And may the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and into the steadfastness of Christ. Remember, as Jesus uh, was walking with his disciples between the upper room and the Garden of Gethsemane in John 14 and verse 15, he said, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And that's what Paul is saying here. We are confident in the Lord about you that you are doing and will continue to do what we command. The first way to protect the body is through obedience to the word of God, which leads to the second point, and and, uh, I'm going to address it further on, so I don't want to spend too much time here, but the second point in protecting the body is discipline within the church. Sometimes that becomes necessary. But I do want to make, as I said, I'll cover it further on later, but I want to make a few comments here. In verse 6, Paul writes to this church, Now we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus, that you keep away from every brother who walks in an unruly manner and not according to the tradition which they received from us. First, when Paul instructs them, he says, Keep them away from every brother who walks in an unruly manner. He is speaking of a brother in the Lord. He's speaking of a believer here, and that's very important to, to consider. But this is a brother who is walking in, in an unruly manner, not according to the tradition they received from us, as speaking of a willful attitude that leads to an undisciplined, disorderly, idle walk. They're doing nothing to contribute to the life of the community of believers in which they are. And Paul instructs them to keep away from such a person. Literally, the language is arrange yourselves together in avoiding such a person. The discipline ultimately involves the entire local body. And these brothers who are walking an unruly life, they are held in contrast with the tradition which they received from us, both in the teaching of Paul and in in his lived out example. They are disobedient to the word of God. And this brings us to the final point in this section, protecting the body through humility. And here, Paul points to his own example. First, Paul and his companions, he notes, did not act in an unruly manner. They were not idle or undisciplined. Rather, they supported themselves in their ministry so as to not be a burden to the church there. And in verse 8, he writes to them, For we did not eat anyone's bread without paying for it, but with labor and hardship we kept working night and day so that we would not be a burden to any of you. And even though the apostle, as an apostle, Paul had the authority to demand support from the church, he, he put that authority away for the sake of the church. There's been a story that I've heard several times. It's apparently a true story of a church that was heading for a split and 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 wisdom their leadership requested the assistance of another church in the hopes of resolving the issue and after digging into the whole mess and emotions were high and they were they were on their way to to a to a split within this church it came down to the fact that an elder received a smaller piece of ham than a child at a church meal and talk about your silly reasons to split but what? But what's at what? What is at the core there? It's not the piece of ham. It's pride. And we all have a lot of pride, don't we? The pride of that elder was offended, and it nearly split the church. And his pride got in the way of the health of the body. And one of Paul's greatest desires for the church is unity. The church in Ephesus, he wrote. Uh, uh, Verse, uh, chapter 4, the, the opening is, Therefore, I, Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, exhort you to walk worthy of the calling with which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, following Paul's example that he gave to the, the church here in Thessalonica, with patience, bearing with one another in love, being diligent to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Why? Because there is one body, and one Spirit, just as also you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. And finally, in Philippians uh, 2, the first five verses there, he wrote to that church, Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, any affection and compassion, fulfill my joy, that you think the same way by maintaining the same love, being united in spirit, thinking on one purpose, doing nothing from selfish ambition or vainglory, and here's a point here, but with humility of mind regarding one another as more important than yourselves, not merely looking out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this way of thinking of yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, And when we get so wrapped up in how we are received or whether our particular views or opinions or how we think things should go, if they're not catered to, or if we receive a smaller piece of food at the potluck than a a kid, the result is disunity, disharmony, and division within the body. And this attitude harms the body. Therefore, we are to deal with one another in humility, remembering the humility of our Lord Jesus Christ, who though he existed in the very form of, of God, in humility took the lowest position possible. He took the position of a servant and became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. And finally, we come to the last lesson that I want to draw from today's passage. And that is God's righteous judgment toward the believer who disregards the body. So we consider God's attitude toward the body, what our attitude as believers should be for the body. And now considering God's righteous judgment toward the believer who disregards the body. In verses 10 through 15, where Paul wrote, even... For even when we were with you, we used to command this to you. If anyone is not willing to work, neither let him eat. For we hear that some among you are walking in an unruly manner, doing no work at all, but acting like busybodies. Now such persons we command and exhort in the Lord Jesus Christ that working with quietness they eat their own bread. But as for you, brothers, do not lose heart in doing good. And if anyone does not obey our word in this letter, take special note of that person to not associate with him, So that he will be put to shame, and yet do not regard him as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. Now, to illustrate this, I want to refer to a story that some of you may have heard. I know it's been several years ago that I shared this story in a message. It was an evening message, I believe. There There were once four people named everybody, somebody, anybody, and nobody. Now, it seems that there was an important job to be done and everybody was sure that somebody would do it. Anybody could have done it, but nobody did it. Somebody got angry about that because it was everybody's job. And everybody thought anybody could do it, but nobody realized that everybody wouldn't do it. And it ended up that everybody blamed somebody when nobody did what anybody could have done i we've already seen Paul's attitude toward the church. As noted, it's the same attitude held throughout Scripture. In, in uh, Psalm 133, David writes, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brothers to dwell together in unity. In Hebrews 10, author of Hebrews writes this in verses 24 to 25, And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together as is a habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. And now in our passage, Paul contrasts his own example with how some within the church were behaving. For even when we were with you, we used to command this to you, if anyone is not willing to work, neither let him eat. For we hear that some among you are walking in an unruly manner, doing no work at all, but acting like busybodies. What Paul calls out is an attitude that is the direct opposite to how he, he is calling them to live. The author in Hebrews exhorted the church to not forsake the assembling together. And this is often held to as, as staying away from the church. Don't be in the habit of not attending. That's a part of it. That becomes a part of it. But I would say it's, it's much deeper than that in the context of this. Consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds and to encourage one another. Forsaking the body goes much deeper and includes not contributing to the needs of the saints, not being an encouragement, picking apart the things that others are doing or not doing. That is forsaking the assembling together. And we have to be careful of that. And Paul wrote, wrote to a Gentile church facing pressures from without, and it requires a mindset where all are looking after the needs of the community. And Paul's teaching here is when he says, "If they won't eat, if they won't work, neither let him eat. If they won't contribute to the needs of the community, then they should not derive the blessings that come from that community." Now, that's harsh language, and it's hard to accept. And the question is, are we contributing to the needs of the community? And if we are not, if we are refusing to, then we should not expect to receive any of the blessings that come from being a part of that community. It's hard to think about. The other aspect of this is that these same people in idleness and doing no work at all became busybodies. And the Greek word here means to I had to look it up, I'm not a Greek scholar to bustle about uselessly, to busy oneself about trifling, needless, useless matters, and is used apparently of a person officiously inquisitive about others' affairs. In other words, you're lazy, nosy, and opinionated. Have <laughs> you ever noticed the ones that I don't, the ones that don't do any work? It it's, doesn't have to be within the church. It can be in the workplace or in the family. The ones who don't do any work always have an opinion on how something should be done. I know as, as uh, Bob has used the, uh, the statement, uh, you know, somebody was complaining about uh, uh, how somebody was doing something, and their response was, well, I like it much better the way that I do it than the way you're not doing it. And in our story of everybody, somebody, anybody, and nobody, the issue was one of ignorance, wasn't it? They thought everybody, everybody was going to do this. Anybody could have done it. But as noted here, the issue is not of ignorance, but is willfulness. And note the language here: the brother who walks in an unruly manner and not according to the tradition which they received from us. If anyone is not willing to work. Verse 10, if anyone does not obey our word in this letter, in verse 14, these aren't people who are simply ignorant. Rather, they know and refuse to lift a finger, as it were, to contribute to the needs of the other saints. And this morning, I want to try to be very practical today. And I hope I don't step on too many toes. If I step on a couple toes, I guess that's okay. That's the word of the Lord speaking. I, would, I hope it is, and not, not just me. Um, And so, as I said, I want to be very practical today. And by today, I mean August 6, 2023. Now, following this message, there will be a potluck. And if you are staying for a potluck, then I encourage you to pay attention. You will notice oftentimes it's the same people doing the same chores, the same people setting up the tables, same people setting out the dishes of food, making sure there are enough plates, forks, knives, spoons, etc. Same people setting out water and coffee. The same people sticking around to clean up after everyone else is gone. Now, I oftentimes we just don't think about it. We don't think about it. And so, therefore, I want to challenge you in light of what we have here in this passage in a very practical way. Pay attention and ask yourself, what needs to be done? That's first. Second, if you don't know what needs to be done, ask someone. What can I do to help? And finally, if you are one of those who are always faithful in these tasks and someone asks you how they can help, let them help. Give them a job to do. One of the jokes in our home growing up, my, my stepmother would frequently complain about the fact that no one helped her in the kitchen, to which her oldest daughter, my, my oldest stepsister, would retort, well, we tried to help, but you kicked us out. <laughs> and bringing it closer to home, several months ago, I had a, a particularly busy Sunday morning here at the chapel, and I was uh, in running around uh, making copies for my Sunday school class, and a dear sister stopped in and said, well, is there anything I can do to help? I said, no, I got this. As I thought about it later, my answer should have been, why, yes, thank you. Instead, my pride firmly intact, no, I'm good. And I deprived her of the grace of serving a brother in Christ. And the point is, sometimes we think we have to contribute to the local community in some grandiose gesture. I'm not gifted as a teacher. I'm not gifted as this. I'm not gifted as that. Hogwash. The Lord has gifted us by his grace, every one of us, to serve the community. And sometimes it's as simple as offering to help with a simple task. Remember the words of our Lord Jesus to the disciples in the upper room after he had washed their feet. It's in John 13, beginning in verse 14. If I then, the Lord and the teacher, washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. Here's the first point I want to make here. For I gave you an example that you should do, that you also should do as I did to you. I gave you an example. I served you. You serve one another. And he goes on, truly, truly, I say to you, a slave is not greater than his master, nor is one who is sent greater than the one who sent him. And here's the rich part of this. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. There is blessing in serving the body of believers. There is blessing in being served years ago as uh, before Heather and I were married the summer before we were married I served as a camp counselor at uh, uh, Cran Hill Ranch up in Michigan a Christian Church uh, church camp and they had three weeks of, of handicap camp now this was these were ones who uh, had uh, mental emotional challenges autistic Down syndrome whatever I went into that first, uh, first week of camp that I drew the, that was the very first week of camp I drew handicapped camp and oh man what am I going to do and one of our duties as would happen with some of these they would mess themselves and as a counselor if I had somebody in my cabin that messed, my, that messed themselves I had to clean up, help clean them up sure enough that happened towards the end of the week But something happened then. As I served this camper, he was older than me, helping him get cleaned off, taking him into the shower. I knew the blessing of serving. And I will never forget that. He couldn't do anything for me. But what a blessing it was to serve him. And what a blessing it is to serve one another in the body of believers. The more we serve others, the more we know the blessings that come with serving others. And finally, Paul's last points in this chapter and in this book, how do we deal with what he terms the unruly and the busybodies. Again, these are comments that are made, they are directed to ones who are willfully refusing the command of the Lord. It says, first, exhort such a one to see to their own needs and not mooching off the kindness of others verse 12 now such persons we commend we command and exhort in the Lord Jesus Christ that working with quietness they eat their own bread second regardless of what others do do not lose heart in doing good and this is the danger within the body for those who refuse to do work that attitude can be contagious Because it can be real easy then for the normally faithful, steadfast ones to think, you know what, maybe I should sit back let others serve, serve me for a change. And Paul doesn't allow for that. Do not lose heart in doing good. And finally, discipline with a view toward restoration and reconciliation. In verse 14 and 15, he, write, he wrote this, And if anyone does not obey our word in this letter, take special note of that person to not associate with him so that he will be put to shame, and yet do not regard him as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. Do not associate, uh, 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 do not associate with him so that he will be put to shame. This is the same sense of Paul's letter to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 3 through 5. Now, this is the context of that passage as he's dealing with an issue of sexual immorality, and they were even boasting about it. But Paul wrote this, For I, on my part, though absent in body, but present in spirit, have already judged him who has so committed this as though I were present. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you are assembled, and I with you in spirit, with the power of our Lord Jesus... Deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of his flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. The fact that Paul effectively takes the same approach to the situation in Thessalonica, do not associate with with such a one so that he will be put to shame. The fact that he takes effectively the same approach that he did in in Corinth indicates that he views both immorality and, and refusing to work for the needs of the community is equally destructive within the body. And that's something that we need to recognize. And I'm talking to myself here as well. But in Corinth, as well as in Thessalonica, the aim is the same. As you note here in verse 15, and yet do not regard him as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. As he also wrote to the church in Ephesus, the goal is that speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, that is Christ. And so to echo Paul's teaching to the Ephesian elders as he met with them in Acts chapter 20 and verse 28, be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which this Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God And get this, which he purchased with his own blood. This is how the Lord views his church. Precious. Bought with the highest price imaginable. I can't even imagine the price that was paid for you and for me. And how can we treat what God deems as so precious with such contempt so as not to contribute to the needs of the local body rather let us with love and humility encourage one another to build up the body because the Lord values us too highly to do otherwise let's pray Father we thank you for your word it is often difficult as we get into passages and dealing with issues within the body to discuss such things. But we would ask for your grace and your mercy in such things. Help us together be humble toward one another. To have the same attitude of the Lord Jesus who, though he existed in the very form of God, did not equal, equate equality with God something to be grasped, but emptied himself and made himself a nothing. Who took upon himself the form of a servant, and being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself by, by becoming obedient to death on the cross. May that be our attitude toward one another, that in humility and gentleness, with patience, we would seek the each other's good, our common good, to build one and up one another up, as your word says, to the mature man, that together united we would bring honor and glory to the Lord Jesus for us at all in his own name.